Good morning. Well, we're about finished with Haggai. Um, how would you like to have the name Haggai? Wouldn't that be a marvelous name to have? It'd be awesome. Uh, I would disown my parents if they named me Haggai. However, apparently that was a pretty cool name back in the day, so we'll go with it. Hey, I, what I want to say to you right now, uh, just in the next like two and a half minutes, has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about here, but it's just on my mind and I can't, I can't get rid of it. So I'm going to pray and then say something to you to encourage it and then we're going to rock, okay? Jesus, um, right now, uh, we're gathered in, in this war room. This is not a place for entertainment. This is not a, a place to come and, and get a product. We've, we've gathered in, in the war room to be equipped to go to battle. And right now, um, I feel, I sense it, the evil one hates what's going on. The work of the Spirit to bring about repentance, to, to, um, to, to knock off rough edges, to, to bring to unity, to, um, to do all of these things. The evil one seeks to stir uh, up all kinds of things to work against us. So, so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would right now, by the power and authority of the mission, that you, Son, and Father have together uh, in all creation and in the redemptive story of history. Pray that you would right now cause us to walk in truth, keep us from error. Pray, Father, that uh, that you would cause the evil one to run. And, and, and we pray that you would guard us from the effects and works of the evil one who would seek to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Help us to have discernment, to see and to know beyond what we see with our eyes, to, to know the reality. Of, of what is taking place now. Help us, um, even that, uh, get through that, Lord Jesus, for the glory of the kingdom, the advancement of Jesus, and for our absolute good in that, we pray. Amen. Who uh, say this to you? I have lunch with a dear friend of mine, been friends for a very long time, and, uh, on Friday, and, uh, and uh, his wife came in to cover for me here so I could jet out and have some uh, have some time with him. And we were just commenting because we have some pretty radical ideas about stuff <laughs> and uh, and uh, very much cut out of the same cloth. And, and the comment we always come back to is, you know, when I'm reading scripture, I feel at home. I feel uh, it's normal. And what I what I, and I hate to put emphasis on feeling. I hope you see beyond ooh, feeling too. What I am and, and what is makes sense when I'm in, when I'm in scripture. But when I leave that and I step back into normalcy, I don't fit, man. Like my, my thoughts on, on the church and the kingdom and gospel and life and, and everything. Let me just name it. I don't fit, y'all. You don't either. We're not supposed to fit. Do not be conformed, right, to this world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. When you read the Scriptures, if you're not reading, and you have no clue what I'm talking about, you're like, yeah, I'm just here. But if you are reading and communing with the Father, that feels normal. But when you step outside of that to go to war, you feel like you're in a foreign country, and that's because you are. And so don't fight against that. Don't conform to that. Be transformed in the renewal of your mind and live that out. Yeah, you're going to be weird. Yeah, they're not going to like you. Yeah, people are going to fight against you. But that's what Jesus came to do. And we're to imitate Him. And that's okay. So do not be discouraged or disheartened in doing good in the kingdom. For there is reward and fruit if you do not give up. Do you hear that? Don't stop. Don't look back. Keep your hands on the work. And keep pushing forward. You are strange. You are an alien in a foreign 
held territory. But the good news is Jesus is retaking ground in His kingdom. And you're on the right side. Okay? Um, this morning we look at Haggai chapter 2, 10 to 23. We're finishing up the book. And then we're going to launch into a, a short series on who we are, some doctrinal distinctives, and do some pretty cool stuff about children and kids and the gospel, equipping some parents. And so we've got some stuff coming up. But I want to finish up Haggai and, and kicking off 2012 properly with, with the perspective of what God's doing in building His kingdom. And, and Haggai's message is threefold, if you remember back. And it's been a few weeks, but his first message, the first sermon that he preached to the people after the exile, he came to them and said to them a message about their hands, the work of their hands, that they were beginning to neglect the work of the kingdom. And they now needed to make sure they got their hands back on the work of the kingdom and stop pursuing their stuff and, and pursue his stuff. And then... The second message he preached to them was a message to their heart about what they perceived the kingdom to be. They saw this temple and it wasn't as glorious as the one before and, and, and he said, no, 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 that you, you've got, you've got the wrong perspective. It's, it, don't compare the kingdom to what you're seeing there. Don't forget the kingdom, the big scope, the work of the glory of God on a global scale. So he spoke to their heart to encourage them. And this third message, he comes and he speaks to their thinking. He speaks to their mind. He speaks to, to their mind, connected to their heart and their hands, in regard to sin and holiness and repentance. Sin and holiness and repentance. And I kind of think that's why I, I kind of just sense this tension. Maybe I'm the only fool in the room that feels it. Because it could just be that Spirit is, is, is wanting to do some work of grace in His people today by maybe rooting some things out and maybe bringing some things to head in you. And, and the evil one just wants to stir that up. And so, uh, sin and holiness and repentance. So, will you hang with me for a little bit? Alright, good, good. By the way, we're not your typical, you can talk back to me, that's good. We can, good with that. Um, not all questions are rhetorical. I'll let you know if it is. Okay, um, a little, a little more than two months, roughly after Haggai preached uh, that second sermon, he delivered this third message to the people of Judah. Roughly, you get a time frame there in verse ten, uh, the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, ninth month Kislev in the Jewish calendar, which equates to uh, December on our calendar. On the twenty-fourth day is roughly December eighteenth, five twenty BC-ish. And at that time, Haggai delivers his third message to the people. The theme of this message, the driving force behind Haggai's message to his people, and it's the driving theme to us today, okay? This is the theme. Is that although rebellion slash sin slash whatever word you want to use for sin, um, although that rebellion against the Lord produces spiritual ruin to the people, Blessing attends those who obey the Lord and repent. This sermon is, is uh, instructive in nature. Uh, it's intended to communicate Haggai's audience or communicate to his audience this very vital lesson about purity in the people of God. This message also though has a, a twinge of foreboding to it because it warns the people of their impure condition and the resulting unacceptability of their work. The point of the message hinges on a priestly ruling, which you heard when you were reading along with Russ as he was reading, about the consequences of contact with ceremonially pure or impure items. 
probably more concisely than anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible, this message Haggai preaches makes the point that impurity, hear this, impurity is more pervasive and more easily contracted than is purity. I want to say that again. Maybe clearer than anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible, Haggai's message makes the point that impurity is more pervasive, rebellion is more pervasive, a failure to repent is more pervasive and more easily contracted than purity is. So Haggai's going to urge the people. He's, he's going to point the people to inquire of the priests about the matter of ritual holiness. And then they would clarify whether or not this was the case. So this investigation posed two questions to the priestly community. The first question was, is it possible for a holy object to transfer its holiness from the garment in which it is wrapped to something else with which it came into contact? The answer that the priest came back with is a big old negative. Holiness cannot be transferred in this way. And by the way, the reason holiness isn't transferred in that way is because it's only transferred through the glorious work of Jesus on the cross by which one believes the gospel, repents of sin, and are credited with the perfection of Jesus. That's why touching something holy is not enough. The second question was, was it possible for a holy object to be rendered impure as a result of the garment in which was wrapped or came into contact with something impure, whether it be a person or object, the answer to that question was a big old affirmative. Impurity can be transferred in that way. And then Haggai draws this conclusion that due to their spiritual sinful condition, the work of the people is unacceptable to the Lord. Nothing they do will be acceptable. Nothing they do is relationally adequate until their rebellion is repented of. And then as confirmation of this fact, Haggai reminds them, he calls again to their attention the devastation that was evident throughout the land. Agricultural failure, economic depression on every hand. Remember we looked at a few weeks ago? You come together and you bring all this stuff and what does the Lord do? <sighs> he blows it away. And so it was evident, it was evident that their work was not enough. And then he explains that these conditions were due to disciplinary, fatherly love and their failure to obey the Lord. And only when the people properly address their spiritual condition, would the Lord again extend His blessing, i.e. family inclusion, the consequences of family inclusion, which I'll say more about that in just a minute. And then the sermon, the message of Haggai concludes with an optimistic promise of the Lord's renewed blessing for the people. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this message? What do we do with what Haggai is saying to them and what he's saying to us today? Which, by the way, side note, everything in Scripture is applicable to you today. This is not to be ignored. This is not to be shoved to the side and, well, it's Old Testament. 
and get rid of it. That's Old Testament. We don't read Old Testament because Jesus is in the New Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament too. We've done plenty of that. You guys know that. Okay? He inspired the text. He's in the text. He's appointed the text. So the question for us is not how do we get rid of it, how do we ignore it, but how do we read this and come to some conclusions for us, Three Rivers Community Church, today? Well, some points I want to help us wrestle through. Number one, indifference is rebellion. Indifference is rebellion. You notice the people. You remember back to chapter 1? It's not that the people were in overt adultery, fornication, idolatry. There's none of that going on, right? No. It's just that they've been back in the land for a while. They've gotten comfortable in the land. There's a fair amount of security available and safety. And they stopped the work on the kingdom and started building their own houses. And what they found was that they got their own stuff constructed and left the work of the kingdom to the side. And the Lord came to them and said through Haggai, Consider your ways. Think this through. You're not building my kingdom, but you're building your own stuff. Consider your ways. You've brought all this stuff together, and aren't you asking the question, why is it never enough? Because when you bring all your stuff, I blow it away, and you've not looked up and said, hey, what gives? And so he says to them, consider your ways. Take a look at what you're doing. When you bring all this stuff in, and it's never enough because I'm blowing it away, I'm getting your attention. Look at me. They're not an overt sin. It's not an overt issue of just flat out, sheer, adulterous, pornographic rebellion. It is indifference. My house is cool. Wow, look at my paneled walls. Wow, look at my den. Look at my plasma. Wow, I've got the 4S now and Siri. I'm not against Siri, by the way. Siri's awesome. I don't have Siri, but you know, my point. And it's apparent that the people have sinned. It's apparent that, that their issue is, is one of indifference. And what we need to understand is indifference is also rebellion. Passive sin is no less sin. Okay? And, and I know sin is a weird word in our culture. Maybe you as a Christian feel really uncomfortable with that word. I'm a lot more comfortable with the word rebellion. I don't know why. but So sin and rebellion, kind of the same deal. Passive rebellion is still rebellion. And what we have to understand is their indifference was rebellious. Their indifference was corrupting. Although their sin may have been less overt, it was still rebellious. And we, as, as the people of God, seeking to build the kingdom of God through the work of the gospel on a global scale, in the dark recesses of our community, in the dark recesses of the world, we have to be on guard against indifference. Because I would argue that is the chief temptation in comfort, is indifference. Because the reality for us is none of us are going to face the harsh circumstances of some of our brothers and sisters on the dark recesses of the globe today. But I would argue that our temptation is no less deadly. Theirs is don't give in in the face of death. Ours is don't give in in the face of comfort. 
Comfort can kill as much as a bullet can. And the question for us is, are we indifferent? Could we be indifferent? Is there a way in which indifference could lead to us being in a state of rebellion and need of repentance? Remember, I don't want to go back and preach the first message again, but it's the building of the kingdom of God, doing the work of the gospel. Not comparing the small nature of the kingdom of God with that of other kingdoms that value bigness and largeness. We looked at the various parables Jesus taught about the small nature of the kingdom that explodes into this massive global movement. We guard against indifference. Because, and here are five truths that build off of rebellion and sin. Number one, found in Ephesians 4, 25-32. Sin and rebellion expose the people of God to satanic influence. I'm not going to have time to go back and read all these passages, okay? I've given them to you so you can go and read them. But sin and rebellion, whether it be overt or covert, and hey, by the way, I'm not ignoring the covert stuff too, because there's plenty of covert stuff in the people of, I mean, overt stuff in the people of God. Not just here, but everywhere. We all wrestle with overt sin, right? Not a soul in this room that doesn't. We also wrestle against the covert things of perhaps indifference or apathy. But sin and rebellion, whatever its form, exposes the people of God to satanic influence. This is something we're really uncomfortable with, particularly in, in our genre of tribe, denomination. It, spiritual things. But the reality is, there is Satan and there are demons who are actively teaching and, and, and actively infusing false teaching and actively seeking to bring people into rebellion against the Lord. And rebellion exposes the people of God to this work. When Paul spoke this message to this church, he wasn't speaking it to individuals, he was speaking it to all of them collectively together. And that the sin that any of them may find themselves in, the rebellion they were participating in, exposed all of them to that work. This is a piece in Western culture we are also very uncomfortable with. That you are not isolated from me. You are not an individual unto yourself. You are part of the community linked together by Holy Spirit. And when we are, any of us, me, you, any of us together, are indifferent, covert, or overtly rebellious against the, the, the God of all creation, it affects everybody. You ever been in a group of Christians and there's just this, something's not right? And you can see it maybe in a few little things, but you can't put your finger on it. You ever felt that? That's what sin does. what rebellion does. It affects everybody. You are not isolated from me, nor me from you. And when we expose ourselves to the work of Satan, we're inviting upon ourselves a thrashing that is not necessary. When Paul said to the church at Corinth in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he spoke to them about dealing with the issue that they were dealing with in that church, in particular addressed in chapter 5, 
He said that they were to turn that person over to be Satan, to be taught not, or to, to be taught that they should not blaspheme. In other words, church discipline is taking a person, setting them outside of the people of God, so that they're exposed, they're outside of the umbrella of the sovereign, loving, Holy Spirit protection of God, to be thrashed by Satan. When we intentionally live in a way that is in rebellion to God, we're in essence beginning to set ourselves outside of the fellowship of holiness and righteousness to be thrashed by the evil one. And Paul says they, they can open themselves up to Satan. Hey guys, I know that may sound strange to you, but the reality is when we are in rebellion against the Lord, we are open to the work of the evil one. Be careful. The second thing in, this, in the same passage, Ephesians 4, 25-32, rebellion, sin, grieves the Holy Spirit and He is displeased with us. Now, it's vital that you understand here, your and my legal standing in the Gospel never shifts. You understand that? If you have repented and believed the Gospel, you have been counted as being perfectly righteous before God. You are counted as having the very perfection of Jesus credited to you. You understand that? Stand in that. Stand firm in that. You got that? But he also said to the church there that their relational connection to the Father is strained and he is grieved, saddened by our rebellion against him. The Westminster Confession a document I greatly appreciate says this, although they never can fall from the state of justification, amen, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. You ever been in that place where you know you're overtly rebellious? Or covertly rebellious? And you came to the Lord when that was exposed and you, and you brought it before Him. Cause it's not like He didn't know. You weren't informing Him. It was just an issue of being straight with Him. And that glorious Psalm 51, David's prayer for repentance and restoration comes flooding on you and the favor of God fills you. And this moment of just rejoicing internally in the presence of the Lord. Do you know that? That's the call here. Don't grieve Him. Relate to Him. And when we are rebellious, we grieve Him. And we are in a place where we need to be disciplined. Hebrews 12 is a chapter about the discipline of the Lord on those He loves and are called children. He says if He doesn't discipline us, we're illegitimate. But if we are disciplined by the Lord, we're children of God. And He does it for the production of righteousness. The third thing to note is in 1 Peter 2.11 that rebellion wages war against our own soul. Stop and think about this for a second. When we intentionally are rebellious against the Lord, we are fighting a war against our own soul. You are seeking to wound your own soul. And I would argue the collective soul of the body. Who wants to do that to themselves? Fourth thing to note is 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Sin and rebellion can quench the Spirit. You, just, you guys understand quench? It means to squelch out. If you've had a campfire and before you left the camping area, what did you do? You quenched 
the fire by pouring water on it so you didn't start a forest fire, right? You, you, you put it out. You quenched it. You quench your thirst by drinking water. The idea of quenching the Spirit is to put down, to suppress, to hold down. Rebellion quenches the movement of the Spirit on the people of God. Holy Spirit is the enabler of spiritual gifts. The one who causes information from the Gospel to turn into action in our lives. Holy Spirit is our guide to truth. He's your counselor, Jesus says. You need counsel? You need Holy Spirit to counsel you. Could it be that through sin and rebellion we have no counselor operating in us because we're quenching, putting down, maybe, through indifference or other things? Be careful waging war against your own soul. John 15, 4, and then Haggai 2, 14-19, that section there that Russ read for you. Sin and rebellion can render us fruitless. Jesus said, when you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear fruit. They were building and getting nowhere. They were planting vineyards and getting no fruit. And the Lord said, consider your ways. Look. Are you struggling with the fruitless walk? Are you struggling with a, with a, with a fruitless existence in, in ministerial work? Could it be that there are areas that need to be repented of? There are things that need to be turned away from? Is there fellowship in the body that's needed? Rebellion can render us fruitless. Whether it's overt or covert. In their case, they were wrestling through the difficulties of what it was like to be indifferent. And they were fruitless. Quenching the Spirit. Waging war against their own souls. Walking in a displeasured relationship with the Father. And exposed to the influence of the evil one. Can I say this to you? I don't think I have to get specific for Holy Spirit to be pointing out already. Maybe where that is present in each of us. Let me offer you a solution. Repent. Just turn. Dude, it, it, it can't sell a book on that. It's not like this glorious thing. I can write like 25 points, 250 pages and sell it and make a lot of money. It's just simply what the Scriptures call repent. Turn. Don't be indifferent. And, and I mentioned indifference in, in particular. Um, I'm not addressing just overt things, but I think, I think the thing for us, the church in America, the West in particular, is just indifference. Is, is there a lack of passion for the things of God? Gospel? Good doctrine, missions, real legit ministry that, that takes gospel to people. Is, is there a lack of passion for the body? Do you lack a passion for the gathered body? It's like, you know, you get up and think, eh, I can you know, leave or take it, whatever, yeah. <laughs> is there a lack of fire? A lack of just, mm, i got to go hard after that because it feeds my soul. Could it be that indifference is waging war against your soul? Could be. Could be. See, how do I fix that? You repent. You repent of indifference. How do you repent of indifference? You've got to get engaged. You have to get engaged. You have to go to war. You have to be part of the body. You have to be in the manual. You have to commune with the Father. You notice what Jesus called His disciples? Disciples. You notice what the root of that word is? Discipline. 
followers of Jesus are not slackers. They're not people who just come, eh, eh. Followers of Jesus are disciplined people who discipline their lives to walk in the footsteps of the Creator of the universe, say what He said, do what He did, act as He acted. Those are disciples. Converts from hell to heaven are not disciples. They're moochers on the kingdom of God, seeking to get all they can from the people of God to pad their own den. And when they find something better, they will release. Leeches. A disciple of Jesus is one who walks in His footsteps. They discipline themselves to come after the Lord. Indifference will kill as much as a bullet will. Be careful that indifference in you not affect me. The person sitting next to you. Indifference is deadly. Repent. Be a disciplined follower of Jesus. Number two. God, I've got to hurry. Rebellion spreads easier than holiness. Rebellion spreads easier than holiness. As I mentioned already, 1 Corinthians 5, sin and rebellion influences the whole people. Rebellion is never localized to the individual. We are a community with Father, Son, and Spirit. The same Spirit who dwells in you dwells in me. When you grieve the Spirit of God in you, Spirit is grieved in me. This life in church is not easy. If you hadn't, like, if, if you think church life is easy, you're not engaged. Okay? But when you get engaged in the life of the people of God, it is difficult. Why? Because you carry each other's burdens and sins, and it is hard. There are dark, there are times where you're just this darkness, it's dark, it's heavy. You don't know why. Life's great. Ministry's exploding. Good things are happening. You're just kind of, ah. And you're crushed under this weight of darkness. That's difficult. That's body life. That's, that's, that's rebellion. That's sin. That's fighting the evil one. Life in the body is difficult. Which is why it's easier to stay home and watch some fool on television than it is to come and engage in the life of the people of God. Because if you're engaged in the life of a fool on television, getting ready to watch NFL Live, there's no burden to carry. There's no difficulty to have to walk through. But when you engage in the people of God, it's difficult. Because rebellion spreads easier than holiness. And we all rest. Which is, by the way, you can't be held accountable for your rebellion against God if you avoid community with people. Which is why it's easier to just avoid community with people. Because they might see that I smell really bad. That's why it's easier to just show up on Sunday. I can say, hey, bye, see ya, good week, move on. But if I get involved in somebody's life, they're going to see that I'm not all that. You guys who know me know I ain't all that. I smell bad. Not here. Well, some days. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I sweat a lot. I could smell bad. But you know that my sin is evident. You know what my sin is. You know what my weaknesses are. There's some of you sitting in this room know the things I wrestle with. And I know what you wrestle with. They carry each other's burdens, and that's difficult. 
And we all know that rebellion spreads easier than holiness. We have to repent of indifference, engaging. I said those things already. Third and finally, repentance puts blessing on display. Now, you've got to understand this. Um, blessing biblically is not the gaining of things. We abuse that word every holiday season. I'm so blessed. And what we mean is I have lots of stuff. That is not biblical blessing. Blessing is an Abrahamic covenant word that means included in the family. It means included in the family. And what Haggai has in mind here when he speaks of the Lord, and the Lord speaking through Haggai to the people, I'm going to bless you again. It's not in the sense of I'm going to just pour on you all kinds of ease and prosperity. It is, I'm going to pour on you the consequences of being part of my family. Now sometimes that does include, in their instance agriculturally, plenty necessary to do the work. All that they had to do to carry out the ministry. All that was necessary to advance the kingdom. It doesn't mean everything they wanted. And so when we talk about blessing inside the people of God, understand that repentance puts on display the supply of the Lord that displays we are part of the family. And that doesn't always look like abundance. It looks like success in the gospel advancing. This is why in a global context, the church that has nothing and plants 200 churches in the span of six months that's evidence they're included in the family of God and people are repenting and walking after Jesus. That's blessing. That's, and can I just be honest? I would trade every dollar that dropped in that box in the back for a dose of that. I don't want to replace the movement of the Spirit and the advance of the Gospel with money. I'm envious of the church in the East. I'm jealous of them. It is a daily struggle to not want to leave here and go there. That's easier. Can I just be honest? That's much easier. They don't worry about the dollar or the yen or whatever. The only thing that absolutely captivates their mind is Jesus in the advance of the Gospel. As quickly and powerfully as possible. Oh man, I'd trade this in a heartbeat for that. And so that's the kind of blessing Haggai has in mind. That's what I have in mind when I think blessing. Not having just an abundance, but having a movement of the Spirit of God that puts on display that we're part of the family of God. Blessing is family inclusion. And when we walking in repentance, Father will display that we're His people by supplying fruit for service. And He will display that we're His people by moving kings and nations to advance His people. The last thing He said there to Zerubbabel is that He would move kings and nations to advance His people. Guys, that that is the byproduct of a people who are repentant and walking after Jesus. So, I'm going to close by, by issuing us, all of us, this challenge. 2012 is here. You know, it's, guys, it's nearly February. Okay? We're at a crucial point in time in our history. 
We're nearly 10 years old. That's stinking amazing. How many church plants make it 10 years? Not a lot. We're no longer a church plant. And what we look like in the future is not this grand, giant organization that's sparkly and beautiful. It's an organism called the church that's rugged, hopefully lean as best as we possibly can, but effective in advancing the gospel. And you know what? That includes all of us. Every single one of us in this room. But the thing that will kill it is rebellion and sin. Lack of money won't kill this church. You never, you probably never, and I'm going to say probably because I always don't want to have that outroad. I want an exit just in case. <laughs> it's probably never going to be an issue of, God, we don't have enough money. I'm pleased to say this year that we had to look for things to give to. It's like, dang, we got too much money. What are we going to do? We don't have too much. Keep giving. There's a box in the back. Make sure you drop it in. Drop it in. It's about Jesus, not you. It's His money. Drop it in. If you don't, you're in sin. It's passive rebellion. Give. But it's probably never going to be, guys, if you don't give this week, we're just not going to make it. Mm -mm. That, that makes me happy, by the way. Isn't that cool? That we had to look for things to give money to this year? Gosh, man, we got, we're not doing enough ministry, man. We need to give. Boom! That's awesome! I want to do that again next year! That's not what will kill us. Our work overseas will not kill us. It'll just empower us. It'll infuse us with passion more for the glory of God. The ministries we do are not going to kill us. What will kill us is that undercurrent of rebellion against the things of the Lord. That's what will kill a church. Infighting. Disunity over irrelevant issues. Just sin. Just overt and covert sin. Rebellion against the Lord and His things. That will kill a church. So my challenge to you, to us, to all of us is, would you just, just let in these times we come together in the war room and our time of response be a time in which you, by the grace of God, let Holy Spirit do surgery and cut out the things that are rebellious, the things that are that you know. And here's the cool thing about the ministry of the Spirit. What I can't say specifically He does because He knows you where I don't. And He's able to speak to you just like He's able to speak to me and begin to do that work. So, here's the, just, just do what He says. Just do what He says. It's not complex. There's no book on it. It's not, there's not five easy steps. To, it's, it's just do what He says. And, and here's the thing. I'll bet you, I'll bet you, it's clear. I know it is with me. The question isn't what is it. The question is will I do it. That's my challenge to you. Would you join me in trying to do that? Be a disciplined follower of Jesus. Repent of those things, particularly maybe indifference. And let's watch the results of family inclusion spread like fire on a global scale. Okay? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we, we are your people. We stand before you righteous through the blood of Jesus. And Father, I, I, I want to reiterate to you that I know and understand and confess that my tendency sometimes is to find my righteousness in my behavior. And I feel better about my, my walk with you when, um, when I'm on a streak of good stuff. 
when I'm on a streak of bad stuff, I feel bad about those things. But Father, I confess to you that my righteousness is not found in my works, my dead works. My righteousness is found completely, totally found in Jesus alone. Even though I may not feel that moment to moment, I know that. Father, I pray that for me, my wrestling perhaps with that, and maybe all of us in this room wrestle with that to a degree, I pray that you would not let us give in to that, but we would always remember Jesus is our righteousness. We boast Christ. We boast Jesus. That is where we find our acceptance in Christ. So, Lord, that, that's, that's our confession to you. But, but we pray that you will, Father, as a good father disciplines his children, that you also would train us. Holy Spirit, Counselor, please root out the things in us where we're maybe rebellious. Maybe we're indifferent. Maybe it's just overt. Maybe it's just out there on the surface. Um, who knows? Father, I, I don't. You do. So I just ask that you root into your people in love. Affirm our position before you but also train us for righteousness. Pray, Father, you would guard Three Rivers Community Church from all the ways in which we could be hammered. I pray, Father, that you would guard us from those things. Holy Spirit, that you would work through the gospel in unity to produce another ten years by your grace. We need you. We confess to you we need you. We don't want you to blow our work away. We don't want to... We don't want to hear, consider your ways. We don't want to look, God, why do we have this and we never have enough? We, 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 we don't want that. We want to watch you move nations and kings, so would you please do that? Help us repent, please. Where there is need for repentance. And where there is need for perseverance and righteousness, would you bring that about too? And help us to not grow weary in doing good? Supply what we need, please, Jesus, for the glory of your kingdom and for our good.